It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. Father, this is for your glory, for your honor, and for your praise. Lord, we just desire that the name of Jesus would be lifted high, that we would see it more clearly, understand it, know him, be found in him, and Lord, be transformed by him, that we would reveal him in our lives. Lord, we desire, we, we crave a greater closeness, a greater intimacy. Lord, we submit our bodies to the living God and say, fill us, live within us, have your way with us, Lord. We love you and trust you. Amen. <clears throat> so for those that are going to be hearing this via simulcast, this is a special uh, beginning day for our advanced uh, training semester. So I literally am just seeing the advanced students uh, before we're starting. And uh, it's just, it's going to be a, such a unique and special time for us. It's, it's a new training model for us. And so that keeps us on our toes. Uh, but the, the theme is devotional excellence, which is a passion point for me. And so I'm just anticipating uh, great things in and through this time. Uh, during Daily Thunder this week, I'm going to be doing, I think, all five uh, Daily Thunders this week. And I'm going to be going through ingredients of intimacy. And the first one is time. And if you're used to seeing titles of Eric Ludi, that's like pathetically small. Time, are you serious, is that all? Uh, and yet, it's, it's a, if you're talking about ingredients, most people don't think of throwing time in as an ingredient to something, and yet time is uh, such a unique word, even when you just sort of hangs out there on the screen by itself, isn't it sort of a fascinating word? It sounds sort of like a spice or an herb or something. Uh, and so it is. I, I should have even spelled it T-H-Y-M-E uh, just to, uh, to add to the, uh, the luster of uh, calling it an ingredient. But it's an ingredient of intimacy. And so here's what I'm going to do. Uh, with each of these five days this week, so it'll be five different Daily Thunder devotions that are going to focus on ingredients of intimacy. And what you're going to find as the advanced students is that I'm going to then unpack these things at a greater level uh, in a more focused way. And they're typically called the five arts of intimacy. Uh, and this, the same tools that you would use to cultivate your walk with God, ironically, are the same tools that cultivate a great marriage, the same tools that cultivate a great family dimension between a parent and a child. It's the arts of intimacy. And so intimacy even though it is different and unique and has certain attributes to it between us and our God, it is that pattern of relationship is what God literally says is the pattern of a relationship between a husband and his wife. And so it shouldn't shock us that it's the same tools, but what's interesting is when you become excellent with these tools with God, you by course become excellent in your relationship with your spouse. Even if you don't have one, you will become excellent in that relationship and by course, you'll become excellent in your relationship with your children and in friendships. And so these are natural outflow points of health at the core, which is your walk with Jesus Christ. Time. 
<clears throat> I need to turn on my clicker. Sorry, guys. So there's a book called The Pursuit of Man, or uh, what was the name of it uh, when I first saw it? Divine Conquest. And this one line stood out to me right in the very beginning, and that is the man who would know God must give time to him. So there's our concept, our operative idea of time. And so if you were to know God, which is going to be uh, over these next five weeks, what we're going to explore together, there's a baseline concept. If you would know God, if you would be excellent in your relationship with God, if you would be intimate with God, well, you must give time to him. Now, what that would mean initially in our mind is the default position is, okay, how much is required? If you're in a marriage and you start with the premise of, okay, how much uh, do I need to give to my spouse so that we're like, fine? How much time do I need to give? It's a terrible approach. Okay, if your spouse ever catches you saying that too, it's really gonna go downhill quick. Okay, and the same thing is true. I mean, God hears every thought you have, right? So if you're gonna be like, now how much time do I have to spend with God to just sort of get a B uh, in, in, in the course called Christianity? I mean, because that's all we're really after, right, is a B. If we can get a B, I mean, that looks good. It gets us into the next, uh, you know, the collegiates uh, realm. If we get a, you know, a good GPA in our high school uh, record is just above a 3.0, you know, we can usually get into at least a decent college, right? And so the way we think of getting into heaven is just like a B average. If we can be sort of a 3.0 student at least, then we should be fine. So we have a tendency when it comes to the different attributes, which I'll call ingredients, uh, of the functional Christian life, we have a tendency to look for the bare minimum that we can apply ourselves to to figure out how we can at least make it by as opposed to splurge. Uh, the, the idea I would love for you guys to cultivate is the idea of the splurge when it comes to giving yourself fully, completely to Jesus Christ. So it's not just how little I can give, but how much could I possibly give to this one area of my life. So I'm gonna do a, uh, a change up on this quote. Now you'll notice it went from A.W. Tozier to E.W. Ludi. Uh, my, middle, my middle initial is W. Uh, and so this is a quote by E.W. Ludi, even though I did take it from A.W. Tozier. The man who would know his wife must spend time with her. I know it's profound. I mean, that's just like game changer right there. I mean, some of you are like writing it down as fast as you can. Uh, and by the, by the way, you will get notes for this. Those of you that are students here, no, no, you won't. Never mind. You will not get notes for this. So write down as fast as you can because I'm moving on. Uh, so the man who would know his wife must spend time with her. Now that at first blush seems completely obvious, but what's interesting is in marriage, there's two different ways that you spend time. In other words, I could brush my teeth next to Leslie and then try and count it as time. Guys do this all the time. It's like, look, we were together all morning. So we brushed our teeth next to each other. Uh, we, we both got ready. We walked into the kitchen. Uh, you worked on your computer while I was you know, uh, stirring some uh, some muffin dough or muffin mix. Uh, and so that, men will try and count that. You know, we'll, we'll be like, hey, we were together all morning. And the, the wife instinctively knows that that didn't count as time, okay? So in her allotment of time, it's like it never even started ticking. 
And because time, this sort of time, is focus time. It's not just being around each other time. It's focus. Like all other things have faded away and there's focus. So as I say that, what I want you to begin to do is draw the parallel. And I want you to recognize that in your time with God, there are two different types of time. For instance, sometimes, and I know this sounds weird, but I can go into certain study modes where I'm fascinated with things, but I'm not necessarily focused on Jesus. I'm fascinated with theology. Okay, and being fascinated with theology and focusing on Jesus can be different. I know that sounds like some strange statement to, to many of you. It's like if you're spending time in the Bible, you're spending time with Jesus. Yeah, you should be. But you don't always do that. Any more than when I'm brushing my teeth next to Leslie, I'm spending time with Leslie. I'm close to Leslie. <laughs> She's right there, but I can miss her in those moments because Jesus is oftentimes, hey, remember me? I'm, I'm right here in the text but you're all focused in the doctrinal nuance of that one, Eric, and you're already thinking how you can give a good, sharp, witty answer to that one person who's been making fun of you. Uh, and so that isn't necessarily spending time with Jesus. It doesn't mean that it's always wrong. It's just, well, what I was just saying may, may be wrong, but it's not always wrong to study things and to work them out or to be intrigued by something and follow the trail. It's just we need to recognize that to know God, you must spend time with them, and that time is of a very certain nature. Be still and know that I am God. So there's going to be a dimension in the devotional unpacking that we are going to explore together that is going to deal with this idea of being still and knowing. And that can be a hard thing to recognize. I'm going to give an alternate version of this. So this is Ludi 4610 instead of Psalm 4610. Be still and know that she is your wife. That is like a profound piece of wisdom to a man, okay? Now, if you can understand that in regards to a marriage, it actually begins to make sense in regards to your walk with God. Because especially for the women in here that instinctively understand this without even being married. You know, you're like, yeah, I could just see that. You know, because the man has a tendency to be distracted, like, I can be in a, 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 even a date with, on a date with Leslie, and I can get distracted with something, and she can be talking to me and say, uh, what did I just say? You ever heard a man <laughs> get in that awkward position? And he's like, oh, well, I, you were saying, and then a man has a capacity to hear, like, the last few words, they sort of linger in the air, and so he draws, and you were talking about her, 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 you know, and he takes from the last three words and attempts to compile, like, some kind of logical response. <laughs> And a wife usually can tell sometimes, because you can get it right. You know, as a man, you're like, see, I told you, I was listening. And she looks back, she's like, I'm not exactly sure. That seemed like you just guessed and were right. And so she'll continue forward. But there's a difference between being still and knowing someone and being there across the table from them. And many of us have spent time with our Bible and time in prayer. We're there... <laughs> But if God were to say, what am I saying to you right now? What was I just speaking to you? Oh, well, you were uh, talking about, uh, and he's like, uh-huh, see? I'm even, God's even sharper than a wife, okay? He knows. <laughs> <laughs> so for us to learn to be still and to know that he is God. So two motivations for the expenditure of time. And I'm going to see if, I'm gonna give you a guess and I want you to see if you can figure out which one works well in relationships and in intimacy and which one destroys it, okay? What do I get out of it? 
So the reason you're going to spend time is to figure out what you are going to get out of it. And whenever you approach something, well, I don't want to give away the yeah, Let me read both of the options. I'm not going to give away which one's good and which one's bad. I, you need to guess. So the first one is, what do I get out of it? The second one is, what can I give out of it? Now, that's an unusual phrase. We don't use that in the English language, but I want us to think about that. In other words, there's two different approaches to spending time. And if you are approaching your expenditure of time to cultivate relationship with what you're going to get out of it, then it becomes disingenuous, okay? Now, I don't want to make any type of jab at Amway. I don't know if Amway has a new name, uh, but it seemed like they changed their name at somewhere along the way. But I used to get approached with Amway a lot, and I'm not necessarily against Amway. I'm guessing they have great products. However, just follow me on this. When someone wants to spend time with me, they're like, Eric, I'd love to get together with you, sit down, maybe have coffee. And so I'm like, oh, well, great. And so we get together, and then it comes out that the reason they're talking with me is to get me in their downline in Amway. It, it comes across as disingenuous. So suddenly, I feel devalued as an individual. I'm only valued because they know I can make them money. And so whenever we approach a relationship with that, we, in a sense, become disingenuous in the relationship, and there's no intimacy in that. No one feels honored and cherished, but if you come in the opposite way to say, how can I serve you? And they genuinely find out that when you say, I'd like, like to pray for you, can you tell me that, that you actually will pray for them, that you actually do pray for them, that you follow up with them and say, how's this going in your life? Wow, that changes people. And so, I mean, I'm gonna give you a little uh, technique here right now, and that is ask uh, people that are on, the, on a, in a, the other side of a counter that are checking you out or that are barista in a coffee shop, ask them how you can pray for them. And then if they do give you something, remember it and pray for it and then follow up on that. It's just, a, it's, it's a wonderful thing because it shows something that most people are unfamiliar with. Because most people, when you say, how you doing today? You really don't care, it's just a phrase, right? But what if you did care? What if you actually do care? Now, have you ever had those people that will, when you say, how are you doing today? And they'll say, terrible. And then they're doing it on purpose, right? They're trying to see if you actually are genuine or not. So you go, well, let's talk about it. Let's sit down. They're like, oh, well, I don't have time to do that. Uh, but that you are genuine in your expenditure of life, whether that's your phrases when you're walking by people or when you're spending time with people. If I'm spending time with Leslie, what's my agenda? to get to know Leslie, to enjoy her presence, to serve her life. If I have another agenda other than that, it usually backfires uh, in the relationship. What can I give out of it? Psalm 90, 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now this is a statement about time. So you have limited time, so how do you apply your time with the wisdom of God? How do you use this time that you have? Because we could look at time as, okay, time spent with someone, but you also just have time. You have a limited time. You have a certain amount of breaths that you will breathe in and out in your life, and they're numbered. And with every breath, you tick off one. You're ticking off one every time you breathe, and whatever, you could look at it as seconds or you could look at it as breaths, but your time is lessening with every tick. 
And so how are you going to use the limited time you have? And that's why this uh, verse here is so teach us to number our days. It could say teach us to number our hours. It could say teach us to number our minutes. It could say teach us to number our seconds that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So how can I best use this day in my life? How can I best use this next hour of my life? When you sit down with someone, how can I best use this time that I am spending with them for the maximized glory of God, but also for the cultivation of what God desires in relationship? God loves relationship. Isn't that an interesting thought? That God delights in it? But first and foremost, there is a relationship between man and God that he delights to see as the foundation. He knows if that is strong, other relationships will succeed. If that's weak, then there's a lack of power for the other relationships to succeed. So if we were going to apply, our, apply God's wisdom to time, that would need, there's all sorts of different variations of time. So I'll just give you a breakdown of some of them. The in-between moments in life. Now, I, I don't know what your in-between moments are, but there's a lot of in-between moments uh, in my life that I want to better utilize and for instance, when I'm done here, I am going to walk from here to my vehicle out there, and then I'm going to drive somewhere. Now, say I'm driving to Starbucks, or say I'm driving to another meeting, there's drive time. How am I handling that? Now, if we were to ask Eric, Eric, if you're in your natural man state, how do you want to handle it? So there's certain things that I'm vulnerable to. For instance, sports talk radio, or political talk on the radio. Okay, now some of you in here are like, well, I would never fall for that. I would never sin like that, Eric. <laughs> However, we all have a vulnerability of how we spend our in-between moments. And usually if we were to get them all out on the counter of the things we would do if we didn't fear God and we didn't care about God, didn't care about the eternals, we would all make fun of each other's list. Okay, they're all ridiculous. However, what can I do? And so a lot of times, I am going to get my phone calls out of the way when I'm driving. When I'm walking, I'm oftentimes praying, and I'm thinking about, and I'll, I'll even think, if I see someone walking on the campus, I'll pray for them. In other words, I want to be sharp and sensitive as you know, we talk about the term practicing the presence of God. Those are the moments, and the in-between moments is when you practice best, because right now, you you should be praying, you should be connected to God, you should be cherishing God, even as you're hearing this being spoken, but you're also engaged mentally in an idea, so it's harder to go into an in-depth conversation with God. However, when you're in those in-between moments, your focus is there. You have the ability, so you could be thinking, using your mind to plot your next step. There's various things that we do, and they do take RAM uh, in our brain as we're going, but to learn to utilize those in-between moments, some people, will have a card on them. And what is that card? That's the memory verse they're working on right now. And so they whip it out on the way, and they'll say it and look down, glance down at it to make sure they're getting it right. And then they get into the vehicle, they have another one, and as they're driving down the road, they'll glance at it. I don't, you know, they say don't text while you drive, but I don't know that I've ever heard don't memorize scripture when you drive. So that could be perfectly healthy. Probably makes you a better driver, too. Uh, so how about this one? In the down times, there are certain times which are not just in between, but they're down. Now, I, I rarely have found these moments in my life. So they used to be there. Remember those days when you were young, you'd tell your mom that you were bored? Uh, my mom, if I ever told her I was bored, she would give me jobs immediately. So I learned not to tell my mom that I was bored. However, 
I don't have a lot of those moments, okay? Now, but if I do, it's interesting because just like I said, what would Eric Ludy in The Natural Man default to? Okay, so there's various things that I could put out on the table uh, that I may want to do. And not all of them are bad, like going out and shooting baskets, you know, or something like that. There's nothing wrong with it because I could be meditating on scripture even as I do it. I love doing that. I love taking walks. There's various things. And then there's nothing wrong with that. Again, that could be like in between moments, how you cultivate it. And Paul says, think on these things. So even if you're, you know, active or if you're in a down moment or in between moment, there's things that your brain could be chewing on. But how we handle our downtimes, we need to apply wisdom to it because there is one life that we have here and we want to use it well. That does not mean that God doesn't make us lie down in green pastures. It does not mean that there aren't things that we can do that might be more recreational that can actually be glorifying to God. It's just that we want to apply wisdom to that and not just our flesh or our natural man thinking. When it's time for bed, when it's time for bed, this is like a classic transitionary time when many of us get into ruts that can be very unhealthy for our life, how you prepare for bed actually defines a lot of how you sleep. And so as a result, I take preparing for bed extremely seriously. And so for me, I want to make sure that my mind is sharp, it is focused on Christ, that there are no, there's nothing in my conscience that is not dealt with, which is the concept of not uh, you know, uh, letting the sun go down on your wrath, but literally dealing with, your accounts that day. Is there anything in my soul? And so if I need to go and talk to one of my kids and say, hey, you know, daddy spoke a little harshly to you and, you know, will you forgive me? In other words, if there's something that needs to be made right, let's do it. But how I prepare for bed, how you prepare for bed, let's, let's apply wisdom to it when it's time to wake up. So some of us have the snooze button that we've become uh, a big fan of over the years or we've become addicted to over the years, depending on how you want to say it. But how you wake up can be very, very significant for the entire flow of your day. And if you wake up subservient to the flesh as opposed to sharp in the spirit, well, you have a tendency to be extra vulnerable during the day. If you can be pushed around by your body when you're laying in bed to start out the day, it makes you more vulnerable as you progress through the day. So just rules of thumb here that I'm giving you. Some of you are like, I thought we were gonna be focused on devotional excellence. I didn't know that we were gonna start poking away at my getting up habits. And yet, how you wake up is of great importance, and that's why I'm saying it's time. How do you apply wisdom to how you wake up? And so for me, I'm very aggressive with my body when I wake up. Do I feel tired? Yes, like this morning, oh yeah. It was 4.50 this morning and I needed, it was cold and I needed to go work out. I didn't wanna work out this morning, okay? Just to be honest with you, if, I, if you were asking Eric's body, so Eric, do you wanna get up right now? Well, that's why I don't ask, okay? Here, <laughs> here, here's my, my rule of thumb. Whatever I decide before I go to bed was when I was sane. And that is what I agree with when my alarm goes off, okay? So my alarm always goes off at a time when my body does not think it should be in the morning. But here's my response. Right foot on the ground, left foot on the ground. I'm on the right side of the bed. Well, whatever. This is the way I get out. And I just stick my feet on the ground and I start talking to God. Boom, first thing. I don't talk to my flesh. I don't say, hey, you know, how you doing this morning? How you feeling? I'm talking to God. And I'm moving my body. I'm moving my body forward and I'm applying wisdom to it. And that is that I don't trust my body to give me good counsel right now. I trust God to lead me. And I know that when I decided to get up right now, 
This was wisdom at the time. <laughs> it never sounds very clear when you're laying there in bed. So how about this, and in the active times throughout the day. This would be an active time, okay? So how do you apply wisdom to even right now or when you're working? Like there's, it, it's, I get upset with myself because I can, as a man, and I don't know if this is just a man thing or an Eric thing, okay? I sometimes presume it's a man thing, but it could be an Eric thing. I can focus on one thing at a time. So when I'm pulling a weed, guess what I'm thinking about? Pulling a weed. And you can say, that's it? Well, I'm going to make sure I get those roots out. And I'm looking at the next weed. But it's like, it's really terrible because I'm trying to like think about Jesus, pray, but I start thinking about weeds and how many weeds there are and how quick I'm doing it, you know, and how fast I can pull the weeds and how, mu how full the bag is and how, or how lack of full the bag is. That, that, didn't, <laughs> that didn't sound right. So in other words, when you are in an active mode to still practice the presence of God. Like when I mow, I have a tendency to think about how straight the line is or how much gas is left in the tank or you know, whatever it is. It's ridiculous stuff that my brain will get caught in and I'll realize I haven't talked to Jesus for the last half hour. And so what I always want to do is practice uh, the presence of God in each of these things. And that's a devotional practice. Each of these things, when you're applying wisdom to the use of time. All right, so I'm going to give you a few illustrations that will sort of cover each one of these. But uh, if, if any of you remember me talking about the endless frontier, I had a, a, a teacher named Dr. Scott Martin. I don't know if you guys remember that. And he was a vocal coach. He still is. And uh, so the story behind Dr. Scott is really funny, and he's the one that unveiled the idea of the endless frontier, and it's good stuff, right? But when I first came into Scott, he was the... Olympic long-distance runner's breathing coach. So he's used to training Olympians in breathing, in the art of breathing. And so, but he was, at the time, considered one of the top five vocal coaches in the world. And so to train under him was just an extraordinary opportunity. And he was sort of like a Yoda. And he sort of looked a little like Yoda, too. <laughs> but the, one of the first things he said is, Eric, uh, I'm going to ask that you would train six hours a day. And I felt a little like you would feel if someone asked you to train in voice for six hours a day. And, I, and so I said this. This is actually how I responded. Who has six hours a day for singing? And this is his response. <clears throat> Those who want to be the best. So let's take that. Let's put that in a little nutshell right here. And I'm going to hand it to you. Now imagine if you come to me and say, I want to be excellent in my devotional life. So remember what this is all about, devotional excellence with Jesus Christ. So if we're going to take the same idea from Dr. Scott and we're going to communicate it here because singing, who cares? <laughs> in the whole scheme of things, who cares? Especially if you ever had the thought that when you get to heaven, everyone's vocal cords will be like healed and be perfect anyways. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know that I could say that because some people would say, no, you have to work hard to sing well in heaven. Could you imagine some of you get to heaven, you're like thinking, finally, I get these new vocal cords and, you, and then this like terrible sound comes out. It's like, you did not practice down there. Uh, however, I think we all have a hunch that the emphasis on this side of eternity is far, it's far more important that we put it on devotional excellence with Christ than on singing excellence. Does that make sense? And so as a result, if we were to take that same idea of training for the Olympics, that if you recognize that there was a gold medal, you know, and I'm some coach, I'm like, all right, so you are the ones that are willing to 
show up for this training. One of you will be standing on the gold medal platform. I only work with the best, right? And so I give a little speech, and I'm in, but very few of you are going to make it. There's going to be a few of you that are going to fall out uh, in the first few weeks because you can't handle it, you know, one of those types of speeches. But imagine that you were to take it seriously and say, I'm going for the gold. What would that look like in this area? Because a lot of people in Christianity, when they think of going for the gold, they're thinking of being a theologian. They're thinking of knowing more scripture than everyone else. And I would say, I want you to know more of Christ. Now, what's interesting is to know Christ well, you need to know scripture. But your focus isn't just data and text and doctrine. It's the man. It's the person. It's the God. Jesus, the revelation of God in the flesh who has come and given us the full manifest revelation of who God is. You get to know him, you know God, and you know him well. So if you were going to go after that, how much is it worth to you? Would you desire the gold in that arena? So the Matthew Henry principle. Have you guys ever read Matthew Henry's commentaries? <clears throat> I mean, it's a, it's a big thing. If you look at the one book volume, and it's tiny text, too. I mean, this is just a massive amount. If those are broken up into small books, do you know how many they are? I've, I don't know that I've, I've ever seen the small book version. But this is, okay, this is a big commentary. And you know when he wrote that? He had a full-time job somewhere else. I don't remember what his job was. But uh, he had a full-time job somewhere else. He wrote that between like four in the morning and seven in the morning. He just maximized his life. So, how are you going to write a commentary on the Bible? Well, most of us would say, oh, I don't have time for that. Well, either did he. So, he got up at four every morning and used it until seven when his family would wake up, and then he'd have breakfast with his family and go off and do his job for the day, come back, get to bed early, get up at four, and every morning he would maximize the time, and guess what? He created one of the most salient, most amazing commentaries that has ever existed. And so, I'm not saying you need to write a commentary, but it's treat every hour as precious. It's basically saying, look, I got one life and I'm lim limited because for whatever reason, we need to work and we need to make money and we have to make food and we have to eat food and we have to brush teeth and comb hair and we have to wash clothes. There's stuff that fills up life. You ever wondered, it's like, God, why is this stuff in life? Those mundane tasks prove our character. How we handle those things prove our character. How we handle our time is of the essence in our walk with God. And so all of these things matter, and even when you're washing clothes, if you're utilizing your time well, you can actually cultivate your love relationship with Christ the whole while. The John Wesley motto, keep the hour. So John Wesley supposedly got up at the same time. Do you remember what time it was? It was middle of the night as far as I'm concerned yeah it was either in the three late threes or four uh that John Wesley got up for I don't know, like 50 years of his life and he kept the hour and so it doesn't matter when he got to bed he got up the same time most of us don't do that we have the sliding scale if we get to bed at two we get up at ten all right and if we get to bed at 6, then sure, we can get up early. But we never get to bed at 6. And have you ever tried to get to bed at 6, too? You know that one night that you're like, I am so tired. And then you get to bed, and uh, someone is clanking around right around 10. Or you're, you, know, you forget to turn off your phone, and it's right by, ring, and it's, and it's going off. That's not what cell phones sound like uh, anymore. But uh, I've tried that so many times where something happens on the one night I'm going to do it. And so then I'm wide awake at 10. 
It's like, oh, great. So, you see, we don't usually do that, but we have a sliding scale in our mind. And it's hard. I'm not going to uh, exaggerate this one. This, one's, this one is a unique test. However, this man proved that it can be done, and the efficiency of his life is probably unmatched by maybe anyone that's ever lived. What this man accomplished, if I had the, the little list of what he accomplished in his life, because he kept the hour, that's what he would say. This is the secret of his life, is that he kept the hour. And so when you know that you're going to be getting up at four tomorrow morning, what does it cause you to do in the evening? It causes you to be more purposeful in the evening. Because if you are getting to bed at three every night, you're not gonna last very long. And yet, so what you see is his, the discipline of his life. If you've ever heard of his uh, meeting with Lord Byron, Lord Byron, everyone wanted to meet with Lord Byron. And so Lord Byron asked uh, John Wesley to, to meet with him and to have dinner with him. And so uh, John Wesley obliges and shows up for dinner. And after the meal, uh, they're just about to get into the conversation uh, time. But hey, it's, it's time for John Wesley to be uh, moving towards bed. <laughs> so John Wesley stands up and Lord Byron's like, excuse me, what are you doing? Uh, he says, well, I have an appointment with the God of the universe. I dare not be tired and I dare not be late. And so John, uh, Lord Byron supposedly was a little miffed over this, that he would choose God over him. But that's literally how disciplined this man was. It's like he's in audience with one of the most important men on earth, and yet he has someone more important uh, who is not of this earth that he needs to meet with. And that's a, a pretty interesting application of wisdom unto time. The Martin Luther axiom, give the best hours of the day. Now, I tried to find this. I tried to look this up. And so I'm, I could be getting it wrong. And it may not have been Martin Luther, but in my mind, way back in years ago, uh, someone said this, that Martin Luther would give the best hours of his day to prayer. So at noontime, uh, right in the middle of his day, he would stop and pray because he was going to take the choicest part of the day and devote it to Jesus Christ. I was thinking about that. It's sort of like taking the fattened calf. And it's taking the, the, the best lamb in your flock and, and sacrificing it. It's, it's taking the best, and that, it's just a fascinating thought because we think exactly opposite. We give God fringe of our day as opposed to the best. And so it's just a fascinating statement. I'm not saying that you have to take noon and there's something about noon. I don't know that for us there's anything more special about noon than there is about six in the morning. For us, for many of us, it's like, okay, if I'm ever praying at four, God knows this is a sacrifice. <laughs> There's the choicest thing I have to give. And so I don't know how to define that other than to say it's a fascinating thought, is to say give the best hours to God. Instead of the, the weakest, you know, it's like the king comes to the visit, you go out to your flock and find the weakest animal, the one you were gonna probably have die anyways, uh, and kill it and slaughter it as the, the meal for the king. When in fact, every day you have something to give and you go to your flock and you say, I want to give my best. What is your best? Give it to Jesus. The Native American approach. Don't waste any of that buffalo. So <clears throat> one of the mottos I used to have for myself, it's not that I don't have it anymore. It's just that when you do things for a certain period of time, it, you forget that you have the motto and you just do it. And it's the formation of habit. And that is no downtime, no downtime, no downtime. See, I'm not against rest. 
I'm not against sleep. I'm not against any of these things. What I'm against is lethargy in the expression of flesh. In other words, I don't want to turn off my spirit life and just have a vacation from it so I can turn on flesh. It's like, boy, do I need a shower in the flesh for a while. And so what I want is to stay sharp always. I'm in the midst of a battle. And when you have to live the life of Eric Ludi, you recognize very quickly that all it takes is one little gap and the devil is going to come in like a flood. I have an enemy that wants to destroy me, so I have to be sharp. I have to be constant. I cannot play games with my spiritual life. I have to live it very seriously. So therefore, I need to treat every moment of my life as if it matters. There is no opportunity to give way to the flesh. Giving way to the flesh in in my life actually can create havoc and harm for a lot of people. So therefore, I have to guard this life with a great level of integrity. And so, here's, it's just, I'm calling it the Native American approach. When they would take the buffalo, they would use every single bit of that buffalo. Uh, I don't remember all the different things they would make out of buffalo, but I mean, they used everything in a buffalo and didn't waste a bit of it. And that's the way we should be with our day. So if you have one day, how are you going to use it? Now, there's nothing wrong with sleep. That's part of how you use it. And you need to use your sleep wisely as well. For instance, you can be unwise with sleep and only get a few hours of sleep a night because you're trying to be spiritual, but that might actually not be wisdom. Isn't that an interesting thought? In other words, you need to consider all these things. You could say, I'm going to go without food because it would be more spiritual. I had to have more time for prayer, but that actually might not be applying wisdom. So what you want is heavenly wisdom applied to your life, which isn't the absence of normal disciplines of life that just create general health. Like, for instance, exercise. You could say, I'm not going to exercise. Instead, I'm going to pray. I'm going to exercise my soul. And it sounds good, but you also might be 300 pounds by the end of the semester if we don't actually have some degree. And I, I don't know what that's saying about Linnea's cooking. If you're going to be 300 pounds by the end of five weeks, <laughs> it's like, what is going on around here? Uh, <coughs> But in other words, we want to be fit to the degree. Like bodily exercise benefits, its value is little, right? It has a little value. So put a little value on it, but don't put too much value on it. Making your every moment count. You shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So, we are entrusted something from God. In the Old Testament, there was very specific, what's, what's that funny symbol at the end of my scripture reference down there? Look at that thing. Uh, we, in the Old Testament, there was a very specific trust of the words of God. We have been given the word of God to keep I mean, this is a fascinating statement. To, uh, you're supposed to lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. In other words, this is just literally everywhere you're looking, you're reminded of it. You shall teach them to your children. So now it's not just that you're seeing it, but you're imparting it. Doesn't this sound like Christianity? It's not just that you're seeing Jesus but you're imparting Jesus. We have a tendency to, we need to have a big event to share Jesus with others. It's like, okay, it's an evangelism night, and we have to create an event for it. But this model of living 
is taking life and saying, let's use it, every bit of it, for the glory of God. So if you're going to literally remember Jesus, if we could say these words of mine, and we're going to take the highest enunciation of what that is, the fulfillment in Jesus Christ, and we're going to say, let's keep Jesus before us always, and then wherever we're going in life, we're imparting Jesus. Everything. I mean, look at this. It says, you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. That sounds like our list from earlier. But what's in front of you always? Jesus. It's the conscious understanding of who he is, what he has done, and what it means to you. It is your life. My sister used to, and this is a story Leslie would tell because I technically never shared a bed with my sister, but Leslie was on a trip with uh, our family and she was sharing a bed with my sister. My sister is an extraordinary uh, woman of God. And she was the one that used to always convict me uh, when I was growing up. I used to make fun of her and call her the saint. And she would pray for me every day. I don't, I'm sure you guys remember stories about my sister somewhere along the line. But my sister, when she would wake up in the morning, this is Leslie's uh, <laughs> statement on it. She would wake up in the morning, smile, and go, good morning, Jesus. And she'd reach over, grab her Bible, and then open it up as if it's a love letter that was waiting on her pillow uh, from her king and just delight in Jesus. And Leslie was saying, hmm, that wasn't the way she was approaching the day. <laughs> she was like tired, exhausted. And then she looks over and she's so convicted by the fact that my sister's just smiling over there. It's like she gets the privilege of waking up because this is the day the Lord has made and she gets to encounter Jesus. And, oh, he left me a love letter. Oh, my Bible, I can't get it fast enough. I can't open it fast enough. What does he have to say to me today? Jesus is before her, always. So whatever that is, now some of us have different personalities and that isn't our natural bent, but we have to admit we want more of that. We want to recognize and understand how to cultivate the relational side, not just the task side of Christianity. One of the delicate balances we face in Christianity is how to cultivate devotion and not just have it turn into academic learning. Because there is an academic side to life. If you're going to be excellent at cooking food and then sitting down and then enjoying family life, what do you need to do? You need to know how to cook food. If you just burn your food every time, your family time is going to have a little, it's gonna be off every time. Okay, so in other words, there's an academic dimension to having that relational time function well that we need to learn. But we, in the learning of it, we need to remember what the outcome is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be just good food, eat your food. It's to share in that food. It's to see people delight in that food. It's to be able to impart that which God has taught us to make. Or in this case, taught us to understand, to learn, so we can give it more effectively. So I'm gonna give you the fuller uh, quote from A.W. Tozier here. The man who would know God must give time to him. He must count no time wasted which is spent in the cultivation of his acquaintance. He must give himself to meditation and prayer, hours on end. That's a pretty good way to finish. Father, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our hours.
our minutes, our seconds. Lord, we don't want to be under a legalistic rule with our time. We want to just use it to delight in you and to love you well, to not feel driven to accomplish. But Lord, that we would not waste it on self and on flesh, but that we would extravagantly splurge it and spend it on love and the Holy Spirit. We trust you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.